read a story of a pastor who had quite a few uh, unbelievers who would come to his church, which is always a, a wonderful thing for a pastor. And, uh, and a, a lot of these uh, new believers or unbelievers would come and they were trying to grasp who Jesus was. And I, I read a story of, of how he had a conversation with someone who had not yet accepted Christ. He, the, young, the young man came to the pastor and said, I've got some questions about uh, Christianity. Can I ask you? And the pastor said, well, absolutely, let's talk. And, and so uh, the young man said, so, uh, so uh, uh, Jesus is God, right? He said, yeah. He said, yeah, okay, I, I get that. And, and he died for our sins, right? The pastor said, yes, uh, he died for our sins, and he rose from the dead, right? And the pastor said, yep, that's, that's what I've been preaching. Uh, so where is Jesus today? Is he in Israel? And the pastor said, no, he's not in Israel. If he lived in Israel today, we would all go to his church, he said. But it, it was so interesting how that young man so hungered to understand who Jesus was and, and where he is today. And, and obviously, we're all logical people. We're, we're humans, and so we, we like to feel and taste and, and touch. That's where our logic comes from. And so this young man was trying to figure out where God was today. Actually, I can totally hear that conversation in Ephesus. Paul was dealing with people who were either unbelievers or brand new believers, and they were trying to grasp who Jesus was, and they had heard that he, he was here on earth, and then he died for our sins on the cross, and he, he was buried, and he rose again, and now he's, uh, no one knows where he is. So I can totally hear Paul having that exact same conversation with uh, those in Ephesus. Last week we talked about how Paul told us in the early part of Ephesians chapter 4 how we should live our lives based on our doctrine. He said we should be humble and we should be patient and loving towards each other, and unity was so important that we should constantly focus on the unity of our theology, the unity in the way we treat each other, the unity in our local body, and the unity in our, in our personal relationships. And how is this done? Well, he says it's all grace. It's grace that is unmerited favor. It's give, God giving us what we don't deserve. The only way that we can live in unity and the church can be unified is the grace of God. So now Paul moves into asking or answering three questions. The first, where is Jesus right now? What is Jesus doing right now? And how has Jesus prepared us to effectively represent him on earth. So that's what we're about to get into. So please stand in honor of reading God's word, and I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 7 through 13. My friends, listen. What I'm about to read to you is God's word, so listen. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and, became, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Thank you. So the very first question that he answers is, where is Jesus right now? Well, he says, Jesus is in heaven with all the believers. So he begins this process of where he was at certain points. So first he says, Jesus lived and was buried right here on earth. And he uses these words, descended and ascended. So remember, descended is when he, can, when he comes down and ascended when he goes up, right? So first, Jesus descended down from heaven where he was in his eternal home. Remember, he is the second person of the Trinity. He is God himself. So he, he descended from heaven down to earth. And the scripture says that he was born on earth. He had a normal mom and dad. He, he, he was tempted just like us, yet without sin. And he was God. He was, uh, we were opposed to him. We crucified him. It was a very difficult, painful last few days for Jesus here on earth. Then the scripture says he uh, descended into the lower parts of the earth. So basically he was buried in the ground, literally, physically dead. And then three, year, uh, three years, <laughs> it might have felt like that, three days later he rose again. He came back to life, conquered death and sin, and then we all witnessed this resurrection and all the people even saw him for 40 days. Did you, did you realize that? For 40 days, Jesus showed himself over and over. So crowds, large and small, saw him after he resurrected Individual people had conversations with him. Two men on the road had a long conversation as they, as they walked. Numbers up to 500 people all at once saw Jesus and he taught them. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He appeared to his mom. He appeared to his brothers. He appeared to his friends and the disciples. So it was, an, it was evident that Christ had had descended into the earth and had rose again and it was just a wonderful celebration that Christ had beat sin and had beat death and now he ascended back into his heavenly home. So he goes back into heaven. And so in verse 7, 
it talks about how he takes captives with him. That's a really interesting uh, set of words that Paul uses there. Have you ever wondered what happened to the people in the Old Testament? Those who worshiped the one true God, we're talking about people like Abraham and Isaac and Noah and Moses and David. So Jesus had not yet died on the cross yet, so their sins had not yet been atoned for, so they couldn't enter the presence of the holy and righteous God. So what happened to those people? Well, their souls were, were waiting for his ascending, and when Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins, but he also died for their sins. And when he ascended, he took those who had been waiting with him. So he took with him Abraham and Isaac and, and Joseph and David. What a wonderful celebration that was for them. And he also, the scripture says, he goes to his heavenly home back to his original heavenly home. He's ruling and he's reigning. He's, he's controlling. He is uh, in charge of the world and times and places. These are, he is celebrating with those who, who, who are by faith uh, worshiping him. So heaven was his original home. He was present before the very creation of time, remember. There was no time that there was not a Jesus. He had no beginning and he will never have an end. So he was present even during creation. He is currently living in his home, sitting at the right side of his father, ruling his kingdom even right now. Well, okay, so he has ascended back to his heavenly home, but now what is he doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now? Well, the first thing is he is currently serving his church. You are his church. We are his church. The world is, there are people in every country of the world that's considered his church. I want to tell you something that I do the very last thing every single night before I turn off my light. I pick up my phone and I look at my calendar to see what my very first appointment is for the next morning. There's, there's times when there are days that I have Zoom meetings at like 6.45 in the morning with missionaries because we have missionaries in every single time zone around the globe. So you can imagine trying to find a time that somebody is not in the middle of the night, right? So every night I pick up my phone and right before I switch it off, I look at what my very first appointment is so that I can get up in time and be prepared so that I can have my first meeting. Can I tell you what Jesus is doing every single night? He is preparing to take care of his own. He knows what you're doing. He knows your challenges. He's no, he knows what is ahead for you and me, and he is preparing everything that is necessary. And it makes it sound like he's about to turn off his light and go to sleep. Again, Jesus don't sleep. He is always ready. He is always prepared. He is always looking forward to taking care of his own. His priority is you and me. So Christ 
is always focused on his church, always. Paul keeps talking over and over about the church. Ephesians 4.16, it says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its, its work. So earlier in this chapter, we talked about the, the, the importance of the unity of the church, right? It requires a focus on God. It requires grace. It requires something that we don't have. It's a gift of grace. It's an unmerited favor that God gives us to provide this unity in his church. Paul will use the language of the body related to the church in almost every single letter he writes. This is the most common descriptor of the church that he uses. It's the metaphor that is his favorite. He talks about how the body is connected. He talks about how the body is dependent on all of the different members of the body, right? It doesn't take you long for one arm to be in a sling to recognize how much you really need that arm, right? Whenever you can't see or you can't smell or you can't walk, you recognize really quick how important that member is. And the body also shares pains. Can I tell you, if you have a hammer in this hand and you hit this thumb, your entire body knows, right? It's not just the thumb that hurts. It's the entire body. When one of us hurts, we all feel the pain, don't we? But also, when one of us has the joy, all of us recognize joy. And then he says the church is a body as well. We're all part of this great family of God, and everyone has their bit to contribute. Each one leads, and of course, there's some who follow, and, and we all have gifts, and we all have strengths, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But all of us have a responsibility in the body of Christ. And he says that Christ, right now, while he is in heaven, is empowering the church with his Holy Spirit. Paul says that this is all possible by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is really important to recognize that when Christ ascended into heaven... He sends his Holy Spirit to empower us and prepare us for everything that we need. Now, when Christ ascended, he didn't, he didn't abandon us. Some of us here, or perhaps you know families, that, that the dad or the mom abandoned the family, and there was this big hole in the family, right? Right? Unfortunately, the, uh, there's, a, there's a theology that teaches that. It's called deism. They would say God created the earth, and he got the ball rolling, and then he just left and is just watching to see how his creation makes things happen. God's gone. He, uh, he, he's watching, but he's just gone. He has 
no interaction with his creation. It's just like the dad who, who walks out on the, fa- on the family. Unfortunately, very early in the creation of our country, some of our politicians followed deism, men like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, several of them uh, believed in deism. You can see how it's so important to study your word and recognize what the truth is. So the question is, when Jesus left, did he leave us alone? Absolutely not. He said, Christ said, it is actually better that I go so that I can then send my Holy Spirit. You remember that in Acts chapter 1 and 2? He gathered the disciples together on, on the very last day that he was here on earth, the last day of that 40-day time period, and he said, it's better that I go. Now, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave you alone, but, but I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and he's going to come to you with power. So Jesus hasn't abandoned us. In fact, he says, I will never leave you alone. I will never forsake you. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and and God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is present in our church. He's present in our conversations. He's present all the time. He is the one who in every way brings to us this life and this empowerment of the Lord Jesus. So where is Jesus right now? Well, through the Holy Spirit, or what is he doing right now? Through the Holy Spirit, he's serving the church. He's loving the church. He's paying attention to the church. He's devoted to the church. He's concerned with the church. And he's working in the church through the person, through the presence, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, Are you just as committed to the church's unity as God is? I encourage you to always be thinking, if Christ is so committed to his church, how can I be just as committed? Well, then there's the third question. How has he prepared us to effectively represent him on earth? Well, the first thing that he does is he gives us Jesus as a gift. Paul says that Jesus gives gifts and we will, and we will get a list of them. But Jesus himself is a gift. Later he's going to talk about gifts, but Jesus himself is a gift. He talks about this in verse 7. He says, Christ's gift. He wants us to know that Jesus is a gift himself. God may not give you health, and he may not give you wealth, but he gives you himself. He gives Jesus himself as a gift. Have you met my gift? Her name is Darla. You know, the greatest gift Darla, my wife, has ever given me was not her amazing cooking, was not her amazing decorating, it wasn't her singing. 
Her best gift to me was she gave herself completely to me. We are each other's gifts. We love each other completely. She is a gift to me. It's not that she brings gifts to me only, and she has, and I have brought gifts to her, but she is a gift to me. It's the same way with God. God gives himself to us as a gift. Jesus gives us gifts, and we're going to talk about those, but Jesus himself is a gift to us, and we didn't need to celebrate that. That is a radical understanding. If you look at other religions, they, they see their God as a taker. Their God takes through karma, and he demands certain works from them. He demands certain payments from them. He demands certain pilgrimages uh, to sacred places, so he demands that they be givers back to him. But Jesus shows us how to give. God is not a taker. He is a joyful giver. But he also gives us the Holy Spirit. In verse 3, he talks about the unity of the Spirit. And in verse 4, he talks about the one Spirit. And he, he gives that like four or five times in a row. He uses that word one. So God has given us his Spirit. We are not orphans. We're not abandoned. We're not alone. We don't have to live by our own power. We live by the power of God. And that is gifted to us through the Holy Spirit. And to some degree, the Holy Spirit is present at work in the world, but he practically, he is practically, or particularly and powerfully at work in his own people. As we work together as a church, he empowers us, he gifts us. And he does that as we come together in our community groups. He's working in us, making us unified, teaching us. As we come together in our Sunday school classes, as we come together with the men on Friday mornings drinking coffee, he is working within us as we coming together in this sanctuary. The Holy Spirit is at work within us, making sure that we are unified and working together and empowered. Uh, empowered. But he also gives us each other. He gives us his people. You need to recognize that you are a gift to someone else. You're a gift to our church. And here's what he's talking about. These people, the people, the people of the church, as Paul is talking about, are given strengths and as they come together, they're contributing and they're bringing their resources together. They're bringing their strengths. They're bringing their minds together so that the church can be built up. And can I just say, people don't have, have gifts. People are gifts. Darla and I have been a part of your family for about uh, 14 months now. And we have thoroughly enjoyed the gifts that you have provided to us. That, and those gifts are normally related to you, your personalities, your love and your prayer. 
Ross Hurst has been a tremendous gift to us as he has cared for us. Dan and Janet, their favorite response, or Dan's especially, I can do that. Anybody ever heard that from Dan? I can do that. Don't worry about it. I can do that. That's just who his heart is. That's how he responds. Dana and Shelley, you've prayed for us. You've loved us. You've, you've cared for us. It's, it's been great. You guys have been great friends to us. Jared Moulter, you have been a gift to us. You've loved us. You've entertained us. You've helped us to laugh. Thank you, Jared, for being a gift to us. You're, you're my amen corner. Yeah. And so I, I just, I just want to say thank you, church. Fair, the Fairlawn family has been a tremendous gift to Darla and me. Then he says, Paul says, he gives each of us spiritual gifts. Look at, look at, uh, well, I forgot to put what verses those are. You'll, you'll see it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Starting in verse, okay, 11. So equip his people, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul uses the language of this body that he talks about in 1 Corinthians. Can I just say a body doesn't need 17 feet? Now that's the way I actually dance, as if I have 17 feet. It's not a pretty sight. But a, bo a body doesn't need 17 feet. Only two feet are necessary. And we need, and we need a body that's that, that is orchestrated, that is organized, so that there's, there's a, just a little bit of diversity, but we're all unified in this body together. He gives gifts to all of us so that we could come together to make one whole. So let me talk just a little bit about these spiritual gifts, and then we're going to get into the individual gifts here in a little bit. Let me just say, it doesn't really matter whether it's a natural talent or a supernatural gift, God gives them all. A natural talent is something you just innately have from birth. A supernatural gift is something that you have from your new birth after you accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Two different gifts. A natural talent is something that you could do before that you were a Christian, but a supernatural gift is something that accompanies the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit after you became a Christian. It was a gift from the Holy Spirit. Now let me also say the way that you find your spiritual gift is often by trial and error. You try something and you're not very good at it, or you don't like it, or everything else, everybody else says, don't ever do that again. If they say that, it's probably not a gift. <laughs> right? It can be an indication that that is not your gift, so stop it. 
But you do something else and you're like, man, I really enjoy that. And somebody comes to you in the church and says, you know what? That, you really did a good job. And somebody else says, we have a need right here and I saw you do that over there and I think you need to do that. That might then indicate that you, got, you have a spiritual gift in this area. So it's trial and error. And can I also say you could have multiple gifts. Gifts aren't exclusive. Sometimes you may have one or two gifts. Other people might have three or four gifts. And it's okay. God gives us different gifts to fit the, a certain context. I, I am a, a strong believer that in every church, every gift that is necessary to accomplish the mission that God has called that particular church is present. And if somebody ever comes to me and says, we need to do this ministry, but we don't have anybody stepping up to the plate that has a gift in that ministry, that probably means that ministry isn't for this time or this church. But when I begin to see men and women, young people recognizing a very particular gift, and they're hungry for it, and the church becomes hungry for it. Then God begins to move and we begin to see a great success in that ministry. But you also need to cultivate your gifts. Let's say that you think that you have a gift of teaching. And you decide that you're going to go teach a class on nuclear fusion. But you've not a clue what nuclear fusion is, nor are you interested in studying what it's all about. You probably don't have a gift in teaching. If you have a gift in something, you'll be interested in it. You'll want to do something about it. You'll always be focused on it. It's something that brings joy to you. Back whenever I was in college, I, I worked for a, a friend who owned a painting company. And to this day, it's hard for me to go into a house or a church that has a bad paint job because I'm always finding all of the problems. Dana, do you look at roofs that way? You're always looking up at roofs going, oh my goodness, look at that peak, right? It's because Dana has a gift and he does it always and he, he's got a gift in it. I worked as a produce clerk my very first job at age 16 at Gerb's Grocery Store and I was the produce, produce clerk, and, and Mark, my manager, was just constantly beating into us that we had to have the best, cleanest department ever. And during those days, he said, people don't want to see the logo on the potato uh, five-pound or ten-pound bag. They want to see the potatoes. So we were to flip every single bag of potatoes uh, five or ten pound, no matter what, so that everybody could see the potatoes, not the logo. Can I tell you what I do 40 years later <laughs> at grocery stores? Darla's off shopping and I'm flipping potato bags. I'm just, you know, it's just so ingrained I can't hardly stand to see the logo on a potato. Now, does that mean that I have a gift in produce clerking? <laughs> nah, I don't know. But 
God has given me certain gifts that I'm really strong in. There are other things that I could care less, right? Darla is pretty amazing with decorations. I'm horrible. Don't ask me to choose colors, flowers. Darla wants to go into Hobby Lobby and spend four hours. That's great. But I'll sit in the car and I'll study the scripture because I've got to proclaim, right? That's my gift. I want to spend time doing that. So cultivate your gifts. If you sense an interest, if you sense that God has given you an enjoyment to do certain things, cultivate it. Ask if there's an opportunity for you to stand beside someone else who's doing the same thing. Ask your ministry team if there is an opportunity for you to test your, your toe a little bit in that ministry. And you might recognize that God has gifted you with certain gifts. Interesting note. Sometimes you may be frustrated at what you see. You may be frustrated at a certain ministry. You may be frustrated because someone hasn't fixed that issue yet. And that could be God tapping you on the shoulder saying, you're it. So before you come to your pastor and complain, make sure you've asked the question, do I have the gift to fill that spot? Is there an amen in the house? All right. So what are the spiritual gifts? Now, I'm not going to get into all of the 20 spiritual gifts at all. Uh, actually, in this passage, Paul just lists five. He says in 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the, and the teachers. So only five gifts are listed here. If you want to look at all of the other uh, four passages that deal with the gifts, and sometimes they're overlapping, sometimes they're duplicates, sometimes uh, they're, they're almost similar, but uh, you can look in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. After your Nazarene nap this afternoon, you can go to those four passages and, and find them. But they're gifts like administration and proclamation and knowledge and faith and healing and discernment, right? So I'm not going to go through all of them right now, but let me stay very close to what Paul said about these gifts here in 12 and 13. He says that they are to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God or of Christ. So, so why does he give us his gifts? Well, remember in our Bible study class, those of you who are meeting on Wednesday nights, we're asking the question, what does it say? So you're listing out every single thing, what it says. It says it's to equip his people to, uh, for works of service. They are not given, these gifts are not given to honor ourselves. They are given so that we equip the rest of the people who might not have that gift. They're also to build up the church to do everything that is necessary that the big C church, remember the big C church is at Fairlawn. The big C church are all of the believers in every single country of the world. So we are to build up the church and we are to bring unity 
in our understanding of Jesus. And to bring all of us individually and corporately to maturity and wholeness. Did you know that there are challenges that you can't deal with and heights that you cannot climb or issues that you cannot wrestle with unless you, you do it with someone else? That's how God created us. There are some addictions that can only be broken when you walk through that addiction with someone else. There are some lessons of faith that only comes because a mentor is standing beside you, keeping you accountable. There are conflicts that can only be mended with a small group of people walking the journey with you. So don't underestimate the importance of those in your church who are individually gifted to help you. God may have put you beside the exact right person to help you through that huge step. So if you are to mature, there are people right here who will help you with that maturity. If you are to learn, that person may be setting four rows from you right now. If you are to find freedom, that person could be right here in this sanctuary with you. If you are to grow in faith, it's probably somebody right here as a part of your community. The church is so important. There are places that you can go, lessons that you can learn, if only you would lean into those that God has particularly gifted to make that happen. Would you please stand? Let me remind us that Paul has spent the first half of his letter talking about the bad news and then the good news that we lived in. The bad news was that we were deceived by the father of lies. We were deprived of the truth. We were depraved, meaning we enjoyed that life of sin. And we were doomed spiritually to death. That was pretty bad news. But then he gives us the good news. He says that because of the mercy of God, meaning God withholding what we, de what we did deserve, and because of the grace of God, meaning providing what we did not deserve, we are gifted salvation, Paul said. Something that we can't work for. It's a gift. It was gifted to us by loving God. We are God's workmanship, right? Remember that Greek word poema, meaning poem. We are God's poem. He created us to honor him. He shaped us, he molded us in a very particular way, his poema, so that we might celebrate God and, and he might see in us great joy. But how did he make that possible? Well, it was Jesus and the cross. You see, the cross broke that barrier. Both Jews and Gentiles now could have complete access to him. 
It was Christ's work on the cross that removed what was holding us back, and now we have complete fellowship with him. It was good news, no doubt. And when we put this reading in the context of the first half of the book, we find Paul saying this in our passage. If God's love is so great, if his salvation is so powerful, if God has granted such reconciliation, then believers should live accordingly. Christians should value God's love enough to be shaped by it. Our doctrine should define how we act. And now Paul tells us and the believers in Ephesus that Jesus has not left them. Yes, he's back in his eternal home preparing us, providing for us, loving us, and empowering us, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to us to bring us power and authority and unity within his big C church. And the Holy Spirit has given each of us gifts, spiritual gifts, so that the church can be built up, so that the church could be strengthened and unified. So my question is this, how are you intentionally using your gift to build up the church? And to what purpose? Do you recognize that you play a significant part in someone else's individual journey? You're responsible for someone that is sitting within this room. God will use you, your words, your prayer, your giving, your resources, your extra time to break somebody else's addictions, to help them learn something about who God is, to radically change their marriage if you are willing to use the gifts that God has given you. Are you willing to give to others so that the church might be built up. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being a gift to each other. You've given us strengths, and we all have weaknesses. Lord, would we, would we recognize, help us to recognize the privilege that we have of standing arm in arm with somebody that is in this building right now praying for them, giving them resources, helping them to know what the next step is. We thank you for that privilege. And we ask, Father, that you would honor yourself in the way that we give our gifts to others. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Before I give the benediction, I just encourage uh, ladies, please get a gift there at the left side of the foyer here. Thank you so much for coming today. Celebrate moms today. Men, it's your day to do the dishes. Amen? Is there an amen in the house? Don't let your moms do the dishes. Receive this benediction. I hear a lot of whispering going on right now. My desire for you is that you will come to the same conclusion that Paul did when he said, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace, for he's already gone before you. You're dismissed.